All right, Matthew chapter 12, we're in this new, new uh, chapter here this evening, and uh, we're going to begin to, let me close this off here for now. So, well, there we go. All right, Matthew chapter 12, we're going to start a new chapter here this evening. Verse number 1, at that time, Jesus went on the, went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungered, and began to pluck the ears of corn and eat. Now, uh, this is the trouble passage here. <laughs> Verse 2, But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But you'll notice verse number uh, verse 1. At that time, notice again the first three words are a timing, time schedule, a timing of the chapter. At that time, that time reaches back up into verse number 20 of chapter 11. Then began he to upbraid the cities. So we're coming back. So we're 12 is reaching back up into 11. And verse 20 there, where he began to upbraid the cities because the cities had rejected him and because his witness, his testimony, his proclamation of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ offers himself. He's rejected. He's been, they, they've ignored him. They're, they're, they're beginning to, to go after him. Verse 25, at that time. So the Lord is beginning to change his tone here in the ministry. He's beginning to to uh, no longer really just presenting himself now. Rather, he's going to begin to actually denounce the nation, and he begins to take uh, that, that tone with them. Verse 25 of chapter 11, At that time Jesus answered, and he thanks God, uh, and uh, having shown the, the wisdom to the little flock, if you will, <laughs> And that little group of people there that aren't the wise, but the babes and so forth. And he's worked that down. Then here in chapter 12 now, and he's now going to, in chapter 12, we, you have the first time in Matthew where Matthew has been just pulling little pictures out of the Lord's life. We studied Luke. We did it really in depth. We've studied John in depth. And we did Luke. And, and what Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of do are show pot pictures. And Matthew reaches into the life of the Lord. He pulls out little incidents, little snapshots of events puts them together, again, not in a real chronological order, but rather with the, that dispensational emphasis in view of, hey, the law and the prophets were here, and now we're doing something else in Israel. So when we come to chapter 12 here, Matthew is going to group some things together in the life of Christ that are going to demonstrate the enmity that the nation has against him. And he's going, Matthew now is going to demonstrate the full manifestation of his rejection by his own. He's going to come in, if, if you come over to chapter 13, just real quick here. <clears throat> when you get to chapter 13, verse 1, 
the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by. See, the, the same day, there's not a lot of time change. Actually, it's all happening on the same day. In, Matthew, in, in chapter 12, if you look at verse 6, But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. He's gonna, he, Matthew 12 is going to show the rejection of the Lord in his three offices. Verse 6, the priest. Verse 41, then the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment, the end of their greater than Jonas, Jonah the prophet. The end of verse 42, a greater than Solomon is here. So he's going to identify himself as the greater king, the greater prophet, the greater priest. And they've, he's come, and now they've rejected him. And 13.1 again there, the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, he's literally going to leave the nation, go outside of the nation, withdraw himself from the nation. Again, the house, the house of Israel. He sits down by the sea. And uh, when we get over there, we'll see that that issue of the sea, over and over, the Sea of Galilee is where he's at, but over and over again, the sea is used as a type of the nations of the world. Over there in Revelation 13, when that, the beast in the sea and comes up out of the sea, that's coming up out of those nations. So here you have Christ looking out over those nations, longing, as it were, for their salvation. And again, God's covenant with Abraham has the nations, the Gentiles, in, in picture there. And yet, he's got to use Israel to go and to bring salvation to the Gentiles, and all they simply do is reject him. So the point here now in chapter 12 is we're going to begin to see him lay out the, his rejection, and then you're going to see also in chapter 12 how he deals with that. And as he begins to kind of steamroll them with some stuff. <laughs> and uh, they're not going to like it, and that's okay because he's then going to move on. So in Matthew 12, verse 1, at that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day. Now, that's the issue. And that's going to be the issue now down to verse 13, roughly, here. And that's going to be the issue of the Sabbath. And we've talked about the Sabbath in our Understanding Israel series, as well as in Luke and in John and so forth. And you've got to, it's important to understand that, every, that, that everything we're going to be looking at start, it starts and is taking place on the Sabbath day. And in 13.1, the same day. You're still dealing with the same time period. These things are going to happen rather quickly here. And again, he's just picking points, okay? So, verse, Matthew 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. And so there's, there's some things here to understand about this. First of all, they're plucking the ears of corn to eat. Uh, come back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 23. 
Deuteronomy 23, just to kind of remind ourselves that under the, in the law, the law of Moses, Deuteronomy 23 and verse 25, 23, 25, it was lawful, and Moses is going to make a provision here for people who were in the situation that the disciples were in to be able to go out and take the grain of the field, whatever was in the field. Uh, Deuteronomy 23, 25. When thou comest into the standing corn of thy neighbor, then thou mayest pluck the ears with thy hand, but thou shalt not move a sickle to thy neighbor's standing corn. You can enjoy uh, an ear or two, you just can't harvest the whole field. So the disciples weren't, back at Matthew 12 now, the disciples weren't violating the word of God when they were plucking it. They really, and they weren't violating the Sabbath day either. Now the Pharisees pop up and they say, hey, whoa, whoa wait a minute here. <laughs> What's going on here? And, you know, you guys are doing this. But there's an interesting thing here. Um, they weren't. Now, there's a technical thing here that gets brought up about the ears of corn. And honestly, I, I look at it and I, I just figure it's the kernel on the corn. You know, it's corn. But uh, some, some tend to think that it's not and it's other stuff and that's okay. And you can go and, you know, look at all that that you'd like. Come, come over to Mark chapter 4. Back to Mark 4. Notice what Mark says here. Um, Mark 4, and, and you know, I, I, I don't know, you read the commentaries, you read what, what guys write, and it's like, okay, whatever, it's not worth dealing with, I guess. But look at Mark 4, and look at verse 28. Mark 4, verse 28. For the, ear, for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn, where? in the ear. So, uh, so what's he saying? First, what are you going to get? You're going to get the blade, the stalk, right? It's going to come up. Then the ear comes. Then you get the full corn, the full kernel, the full meat, the full fruit, however you need to say it. So when you come back to Matthew 12, they're out there picking ear and an ear of corn and, you know, eating away at it. <laughs> So uh, don't, again, I bring that up because I was reading something and the guy pointed it out and I'm like, really? Okay. Back to Matthew 12, verse 2. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. That's the problem. The problem wasn't eating the corn because Deuteronomy said they could. The problem was... You guys are eating the corn, and you're doing it. You're violating the Sabbath day laws. You're, basically, they're violating the traditions of the fathers is what's going to end up happening. Come over to chapter 15. Just look at a few of these things here. Again, the problem is, that it, it, again, it's not eating the, the corn. It's the fact that they're eating it on a Sabbath day. Come over uh, chapter 15 of Matthew, verse 1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the traditions 
Of who? Of the elders. For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Again, today, everybody's washing their hands. (laughs) I saw Jeff Durham. He's the guy, uh, uh, ventriloquist. He's got the dummies and stuff. His his Walter looks a lot like Joe Biden. But uh, anyway, they're doing it and and, uh, uh, the terrorist guy, um, Omar. I think I don't remember the guy's name. I just had it. Anyway, he's like, yep, yeah, you wash your hands like your arm falls off, and then his arm falls off. You know, it's like, well, what are they saying? Hey, they're eating, and they didn't wash their hands. Verse 3, but he answered and said unto them, why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Woo, he gets them. Things getting a little tough there. You see, the Lord here, he, he's, he's going to start playing hardball with these guys. And he says, hey, you know, the elders say they're violating our traditions, and the Lord says your traditions are violating the word of God. Come back over to, to just come back here to Matthew 12, where we are. You see, they got some traditions going on, and uh, he's going to get them. And he, he gets them there because of they've become the religionist. They are the, the, the stuff shirts, you know, dearly beloved, here we are. And, you know, how dare you eat on the Sabbath? Don't you know what's going on? And, you know, they do. And it, what's going to be fascinating, honestly, moving forward from chapter 12 on, is every time they ask him a question, he answers. And every time he asks them a question, they can't answer. So they quit asking him questions and rather try to figure out how to kill him. <laughs> and uh, th- that's really what begins to happening here. It starts here in chapter 12. And these guys get going. And in chapter 12 here, they're going to, they're, they're going to start picking on this issue about the working on the Sabbath. Verse 3. But he said unto them. So the Lord, there ask a question and he turns and says to them, Have ye not read what David did when he was a hungered and they that were with him? He, he turns and he doesn't say, Look, what they did was lawful, it was scriptural, it doesn't violate anything. But rather, he, go, he turns right to the heart of the issue. He rebukes them. Have ye not read what David did? Now, if you think about what the Lord is doing here, he's looking at them going, look, you guys are the leaders of the nation. You have the scriptures. It's a little sarcasm. But really, he's getting at the heart of the issue. You guys have the Bible. You've got the Word of God. And don't you know, don't you remember what David did back there in 1 Samuel 21? Don't you know, haven't you read, verse 4, Now he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? He says, you guys, haven't, have you not read through what you're asking me about? You know, hey, your guys are doing this on the Sabbath. He goes, you, do you guys even understand what the Sabbath is about? You're, <laughs> you, 
you're yelling at me for breaking some kind of ceremonial law here, because that's what the Sabbath is. It's a ceremonial law. And you guys are sitting over there. You haven't even considered what David said. And that's an important issue here. 1 Samuel 21, Numbers 28, where he's at here. He does, he, the Lord doesn't just stand up and demand the right for his disciples to do what he, they were doing. He doesn't stand up and bring up Deuteronomy. But rather what he does is he uses the word of God to contradict the tradition of the day. And, he's, and gets right to the heart issue, and that's really the issue. Verse 6, But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. Well, who would that be? Well, that's Christ. There he stands. You see, he goes right to the point. And he knows what the problem is. He says, you're picking on my disciples. You don't like who I am. That's the reason why you're picking on my disciples here. And the reason that you're going you're gonna to get all hung up on some ceremony stuff here, and you haven't even read, you haven't even considered David. Now, come back to 1 Samuel 21, just so you see this, because there's something here about David and being in a similar, similar situation. 1 Samuel 21 starts in verse 1, and what we see here is we see David, the king, rejected by the nation. He's out, he's on the, he's on the run. And he, he's been rejected, and he goes to the temple, and he goes in, he's hungry, and he eats the showbread. He goes in and gets the bread that was meant for the priest, and he eats it. And he, he, the reason he ate it is because he was rejected. If he had been sitting as the king in Jerusalem, he wouldn't have been down there eating it. See? So because he was rejected... And because a usurper was on the throne in his place, then David goes in and eats. 1 Samuel 21.1, Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. Um, and Ahimelech was afraid to, uh, at the meeting of David and said unto him, Why art thou alone and no man with thee? And David said unto Himelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business, wherefore I send thee. And what I have commanded thee, and I have appointed unto my, uh, appointed my servants to such and to such a place. Verse 6, just jump over there. So the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread that was taken from the before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Verse 6 is what I was after. They, he takes the bread. And what Christ is doing back here in Matthew 12 now is he says, Hey, the son of, the son of David, here I stand. I'm in a similar situation as King David, rejected by the people. Can't the son of David in the same situation enjoy the same privileges that God allowed David to enjoy? 
When he does that, you know what he's saying? I am the son of David. <laughs> he's, again, laying it in on him. And you know, there's only one person in the Bible that ever, ever carried the, 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 all three offices of the prophet, priest, and king that was King David and the Lord Jesus Christ. David was a king. He was a prophet because he wrote the, the Psalms and, and so forth. And he functions as a priest as well. Moses was a prophet and a king, but he was never a priest. Aaron was his priest. Adam was a king and a priest, but he was never a prophet. So the Lord really goes after Saul when Saul tries to take over the office of the priest. Not supposed to do that. Gets him. So Christ here, a complete type in the prophet, priest, and king category. Christ says, don't you remember David? He went in and ate that, and that the, the items that belonged to the priest, and, and, and he, that was okay. David's in a similar situation, being rejected. I'm rejected. So he brings up David, but really so to, to kind of get at him <laughs> and to, to look at him and say, look, you guys have your traditions and you're violating the Word of God over here. And again, we've looked at the issue of the Sabbath in quite a great detail. And that Sabbath is that sign between God and Israel about the covenant that He made with, God, with Israel. It's a ceremonial commandment. It's a ceremonial sign. It's actually the sign of the of the of the Ten Commandments of the Mosaic Law. And it basically is a day, not that they just had a day off, but they would were to stop and to think about and to consider, come back to Matthew 12, why God created creation, why he created the nation of Israel, what he was doing with them, and so forth. And uh, he says, hey, I'm here now. And they jump all over him. Now, watch verse 6 again. But, he's, but, but I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. Now, what he's saying there is, he says, listen, I have rights that are greater than the temple. He is the great high priest. He is what, who he says he is. And what are they doing? Rejecting him. And that's really the point here. Verse 7. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Ye would not have condemned the guiltless. Again, who is the guiltless? Christ is. You see what he's saying to him? He's saying, hey, look, guys, I'm perfect. I'm guiltless. And even on the Sabbath day, I'm guiltless. I'm Jehovah. This is a powerful statement. Verse 8, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. <laughs> That's a powerful statement about who He is. He's basically reminding them that the Sabbath was a sign and a token of the covenant between Israel and God. Jehovah God. God gave it to him, and He said, This is a sign. And... I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I, the Lord's Sabbaths. 
and so forth. He is the Lord. And again, he's just putting, he's putting the screws to them. He, and he's doing it really clear. He, there's no ambiguity. There's no guessing. He's just sticking it right on them. And that's important to understand here. He's just basically saying, I'm, the, I'm Jehovah, I'm guiltless, and you're rejecting me because you don't know what the Bible says. Come over to Romans chapter 9. See, he, he just is sitting there. Uh, by, by the way, before we do that, in that verse 7, and he says, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Uh, that's that passage in Hosea 6. Uh, it's Hosea 6 verse 6 where he says, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Uh, we had gone over that a little bit in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. Uh, the Lord quotes that twice, so you ought to pay attention to it. And uh, when we went and looked at that, you know, there, he, what he was talking about is a bunch of people who are trying to get saved through sacrifice, sacri sacrificing, sacrificial works of self-righteousness. And again, I, you go back and look at Hosea 6, and that's what's going on there. And the issue with God wasn't the sacrifice. It's never been the sacrifice. It was the mercy. It was the heart issue. It was what was going on in there. What are you trusting? Their faith, and that's the issue with God. Now, now come over to Romans 9, because Paul is going to kind of give us a little insight in Romans 9 here. Actually, in Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul begins to talk about what's going on with the nation of Israel and the age of grace. And in the first 29 verses here, he, he, in Romans 9, we need verse 30. Paul lays out how that God has cut off the nation and God has set them aside. He has interrupted their, per, their program. And he's done it so that and he took Israel and he made them from a vessel of honor into a vessel of dishonor. And he set them aside, turned to the Gentiles. Verse 30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. And again, that's the crunch right there. It's of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, so they had the law, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Wherefore? Why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There's only one time and all of history that God laid in design a rock of offense and a stumbling stone, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. In his ministry that we're looking at in Matthew, in his ministry through his apostles into the early Acts period, he says, there it is. So the passage here is talking about when he's in their midst, what did they do? They stumbled at him. They rejected him. He's an embarrassment to them. So they move on. 10.1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God 
for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. The end, the end of it, the goal of the law was Christ. What terminates the goal? What terminates the law? Christ does. And the problem with Israel is that they weren't believing just as the problem in Rome was, they weren't believing either. But Israel, for Israel, they did not believe that he said who he was as who he was. They rejected him. They went about to establish their own righteousness. They went to establish their own works. They didn't submit themselves to him. So when we come back to Matthew 12, that's where we're at here. And because that they've missed the Lord Jesus Christ when he showed up, they missed him because they weren't seeking him. They weren't looking for him. They were going about their own works. Of, I love that passage. We'll get over there to it. How he says about the leaders, they're in Moses' seat, and they seek the high seat and the long robes and all the rabbi, rabbi and the mark. That's what they were after. And their focus was on their religious activity, and that issue began to get them in trouble. And again, just as Paul says in there in Romans 9, he says the same thing here in Matthew. He says the same thing in John. We saw it in John 8. He looks over there at Israel, and guess what? They're, they're, they've rejected him. And just because they're the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob doesn't mean anything. John 1, you know, we saw that. They had to have that issue of their spiritual side taken care of, as well as the physical side. So Matthew 12 here, verse 7, But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy. If ye had known what this meaneth, the thing in verse 6, the greater priest is there. I'm here. I am Jehovah. I am the Messiah. I am the greater priest. I am the greater high priest. All that stuff. And I, I just think about Hebrews and the high, the priest, the, the Melchizedek order and all that high, all that, the better priest. We've got a better thing, a better, a better. He says, guys, if you'd have known what that means, I would have had mercy and not sacrifice. Ye would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord, even on the Sabbath day. If you'd have just had known what all this meant, I would have had mercy. You would not have condemned the guiltless, me. You would not have condemned my disciples. You wouldn't have rejected me. You wouldn't have rejected them. Rather, we would have gone on over here and executed the covenant and been just fine. It's like that thing we saw back there about John the Baptist. If they had recognized John the Baptist for who he was and what he said, then he would have been Elijah, and the Lord would have been the prophet, and we would have gone in. But they didn't. They rejected him. Verse 9, And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. 
And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? (laughs) They just don't get it. And then they don't let it go either. He just, you know, zinged them with David. And they, and yet, what are they? They're right on him. They're right there. Verse 11, And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? Ooh. <laughs> they were, man, he, he just zinging them, just getting them. They, they, they're going to pull the old ox in the ditch routine. We saw that. <laughs> And he just, man, he goes, no, if any of you guys even had one little sheep fall in, you'd be in there after them, picking them up. And they would have claimed the exemption that Moses gave them back there. They would have said, hey, it's you know, better than a sheep to die than a man, you know, and all this. They'd have claimed all of that. Better to get that sheep out. Why? Because a Sabbath day is a ceremonial day. It's not a moral condition at all. Verse 12 How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. He just throws it right back at them. See, they're going to ask him, you know, hey, you're going to heal this guy on the Sabbath? And he says, well, who of you are going to jump in and save your own sheep? And by the way, isn't a man healing someone over here, isn't a man better than a sheep? He just sticks at them. He just gets them. You guys are going to break the Sabbath under the exceptional needs and situation, and God allows it, and you allow it. And that shows that God's not a stickler for the ceremonial observance. But these guys... Look over at John 8, just to kind of, or John 18, John 18. These guys are just all wound up. And what's amazing to me is that the Lord is just sticking them. He's not taking the foot off the gas pedal. He's nailing them. John 18, I think, John 18, verse 28. You see, they are so uptight about the ceremonies then led they Jesus from Caiaphas under the hall of judgment and it was early and they themselves went not into the judgment hall lest they should be defiled but that they might eat the Passover they the religious crowd for you obeying what God's words tell them about being defiled Obeying God's commandments about keeping themselves unclean. Keeping themselves away from the unclean. So they can go over there and eat the Passover, and yet they're ready to kill the Son of God in the same moment. And I think when we went through John 18 there, we talked about the hypocrisy in that. They're ready to go murder an innocent man, and yet they're over here with their chest poked out, not going to defile ourselves. And that's really the issue here. Come back to Matthew 12, that he's pointing out in John 18 here is that issue of the heart. And that issue that their heart was motivated by self righteousness. And really, 
the Lord is looking for that heart motivated out of faith and of a good work. And a good work is, is done when, because God tells you to do it, and you go do it out of a faith response to, that, to his word. So let's get over here and let's do what we need to be doing because God's word tells us to do it. Not out of a self-righteous bent, which is what they were after. Matthew 12, verse 13. Then saith he to the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth and it was restored whole like as the other. Now, it's important to see this guy. Because notice that he stretched forth his hand and he was healed as the result of obeying the word. He responded to the word. He, he's a man with a, his hand is withered. Jesus says, stretch forth your hand. He couldn't go very far with it. It's withered, but he got it out there and the heal and life he's healed you see the healing power was in the word and the healing came as a response to the word that christ spake and he does it all on the sabbath day verse 14 then the pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him you see he does it on the sabbath <laughs> he just poking them because the Sabbath, and again, I you know try not to reteach everything we've taught in the back in the past. Ezekiel twenty, it's a Sabbath as a sign between me and you. He says, talk, talking with Israel. Hallowed my, uh, Ezekiel twenty twenty, and hallowed my Sabbaths, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that ye may know that I am the Lord your God. It's a sign between God, Jehovah, and Israel. We go over to Exodus 31, and we've that whole section there about them. The Sabbaths, they belong to the nation of Israel. They don't belong to you and I. You can't do it today. We just Sunday we rode up the road up here, and uh, they're building some big out. It looks like a house or something, but it's right next to the Seventh Day Adventist Church up on the the trail. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. I had looked at renting that place one time many years ago, but they had too many rules about what we could and couldn't do on Sunday. <laughs> I'm like, well, you're not here. We're going to be here. You're not going to be, you know, but they wouldn't, they, they were rather stringent on that. The sat, he does all this on the Sabbath, verse 14. Here's the first clearly stated plot to kill the Lord right here. It's the first time that these guys get together to find, out, to find a way, to develop a way to destroy him. Now his response to that in verse 15 and 16. But when Jesus knew it, he what? Withdrew himself from thence and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all and charged them that they should not make him known. Here he is, dealing with the religious leaders of Israel. They're losing the battle with him, the argument. So they did develop a way to kill him. And the Lord's response to that is he withdraws himself from that situation. He withdraws himself from this point onward. 
he begins to de-emphasize his public ministry. So no longer, come over to chapter 13, no longer does he get out there teaching the masses. No, lo no longer is he going to try now to reach the nation with uh, his preaching. Rather, he backs away. He begins to withdraw himself. He begins to do Matthew 13, verse 10 and 11. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Isn't that interesting? Why do you talk to the multitudes now in parables? You used to talk to them plain and straight. Now you're telling these guys parables. Why are you doing that? Verse 11. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you, the little flock, the disciples, the believing remnant, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. How, again, how many times have we heard people say that Jesus taught in parables to make the truth clear and plain so that everybody could get it? <laughs> Matthew 13 doesn't say that. Matthew 13 says the op exactly the opposite of that. He says, I'm speaking in the parables so they can't get it and you can get it. The little flock can get it. And you guys, the one who are, has the heart attitude of faith and are working properly and doing what needs to be done, you guys are going to get it. Now, come over to Matthew 16. Because in Matthew 16, verse number 17, Matthew 16, not only does he begin to move away from his public ministry, now he's going to begin in Matthew 16 to de-emphasize his messianic office. And he, he's going to begin to move out of the... He's withdrawing himself completely. Matthew 16, 17. Then Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I, So you've got Peter... Verse 18, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon the rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now watch verse 20, then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. After Peter has proclaimed him to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, now he says, I'm going to go build my church on the, that understanding of who I am as Messiah. But you guys don't tell anybody that. Verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. He's de-emphasizing not only his public ministry, but also his messianic office. And he begins to train the twelve for the ministry that they're now going to have to go and carry out after his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and his ascension. And that they become, come over to chapter 17, they become the the witness now out to that apostate 
nation. And they're going to be the eyewitness of his majesty and of his glory. That's why 17.9 says, And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. They just got to see his messianic glory, and he just tells them, Now don't go tell nobody about it. Don't testify about it. Don't be a witness to it. Because his rejection had to be finalized, which was Calvary. See, Christ is on his way to Calvary here. And there's a testimony to the 12 that they have to wait before until he's done. So back in Matthew 12, Matthew chapter 12, when he does this, I said it last week. And I'll say it again today, this is, Matthew 12 is a tremendously important passage. And that's why some of the old-time dispensationalists of 50, 60, well, they can't even be 50. It's got to be 100, 150 years later, because I'm 50. Some time ago, back in the early 1900s, placed the fall of Israel right here where we're at. And they believe that Israel falls here because they saw these events that were taking place and how that these events end up being and end up bringing in and about Calvary. Now we know better today that Israel doesn't fall here, but uh, they stumbled and that's what they're doing. So Matthew 12, verse 17. Okay. Matthew 12, 17. uh, Verse 16, And charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, and he's going to quote Isaiah 42, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, and whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my... Spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man bear, uh, hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. There it is. Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen. He's going to go out and fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to put my spirit upon him, and he's going to show judgment to the Gentiles. He's going to go out. He's going to perform my, the Abrahamic covenant. He's my servant. He's going to execute it. And here's the one that all the nations of the earth are going to come and find their blessings in. He shall not strive, verse 19, nor cry. Neither shall any man hear his voice in the street. Is that acceptance or rejection? That's what's happening. That's why he does, verse 15 and 16, why he withdraws. He says, don't go out and tell everybody who I am. Because neither shall any man hear hear his voice in the streets. He's been rejected. So verse 20, the prophets are 
foretelling of his rejection, verse 20, a bruised reed shall not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. A bruised reed. He's not going to do a thing. A smoking flax shall not be... He's not going to come up and do anything. Christ is going to be rejected, and he's going to be gone. And he's not going to do one thing until the second coming of Christ comes. Where he's going to come back now in, in judgment unto victory. They're going to reject him, and he's going to go away. He's going to resurrect, ascend. He's not going to act on any of it. He's not going to act on any of it until he comes back in his second coming where he's going to send forth, verse 20, judgment unto victory. When Jesus Christ, Acts chapter 7, with the stoning of Stephen, when he stands at the right hand of the Father, he's ready to come back and bring judgment. And when he does that, that's what he's talking about. Now, we know he interrupted the program, and he set aside Israel and so forth and everything. Um, come over to Romans 15. And just kind of catch here what he's saying when he says, And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Romans 15. Paul gives that to us. B by the way, you got Romans 15. Run over to Revelation 19. When he says that unto judgment, unto victory, it's Revelation 19, verse 11. That's what he's talking about. Revelation 19, 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. When he comes back in what Paul calls that flaming fire, he's going to come back to judge and make war. He's coming back to fulfill that prophetic program. Now, again, we know different. Now, uh, uh, Romans 15, okay? But in Matthew 11, Israel has to be saved first because it's through Israel that the Gentiles are going to come to trust him, find their salvation. See, Gentile salvation has been a part of Israel's program since day one. It's all, but Israel had to be fixed first, then be that channel of the blessing. Now, Paul in Romans 15, verse 8, we know very well. Now I say that Jesus Christ was the minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Again, got to catch all the, it's fulfilled. Isaiah, it is written. The book of Matthew, in Christ's ministry, he's the minister of the circumcision, that's where we're reading about. And the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Again, the Gentile salvation has never been a secret the very purpose, the very intent, the very issue, the very goal of the Abrahamic covenant was Gentile salvation. But it was to be done through Abraham's seed. 
through Israel was all of the, was going to be the, 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 the vacuum, the channel to which all of the earth was to be blessed. He says in verse 9, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. They are to, Gentiles are going to rejoice with who? His people. That's how they were going to be saved back then. That's fascinating. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, Isaiah 11, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. Again, notice where he's going to do it. He's going to reign over the Gentiles. And in him. Isn't that interesting? Shall the Gentiles trust? Who are they going to trust in? The root of Jesse. Who's the root of Jesse? Christ. So the issue back here in Verse 21 of Matthew 12, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. The, the issue in the kingdom program, Paul knew it. You and I know it. We understand it. And if again, if we believe what God's word says, that that issue back there in the book of Matthew, in the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, is where he's going to come down, he looks out across that nation and sees them not functioning as who they're supposed to function like and be, he presents himself to them and they reject him. And he says, if you'd have known it, it would have been okay, but you didn't. So you missed it. So now we're going to withdraw, now he's going to withdraw himself. Now he's going to come along and he's going to say, hey, because of your unbelief, because of your unbelief, I, Messiah, I'm going to back up. I'm going to withdraw myself from you. Now he's going to send victory, judgment unto victory. But we know that the Lord, that the father had a different plan he interrupted that plan we live in that interval now the marvelous day of of the wonderful grace of god that he withdrew he's withheld his wrath he's extended his grace but then one day what's he going to do he's going to finish out israel clean them up and off we go we've been an hour now so we'll stop here in verse 21 but it's very important to see what's going on. And, and I go over to Matthew, uh, Romans 9 over there because Paul looks back, it helps with this. That's why you've always heard me say, you've got to have some of Paul to get some of what Israel's going through and dealing with. These guys, he's, he's publicly backing off now. And Israel's, the nation, the leaders, they don't get it, they don't understand but the disciples, the twelve, they see it as well. And then he's going to give them some instruction in 13 and off we go. Okay? 
All right, we'll pick up in verse 22 here and talk about the, uh, the devil and the, the guy possessed with the devil and stuff and kind of work on down a little bit more, okay? All right, Dear Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the passage here and the ability to study it and to understand it and to see it and to rejoice in it. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In your name we pray, amen.